Thanks for joining us. This is your host, Taylor Bradley, and you're listening to the Troop HR Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the podcast today. My name is Taylor Bradley, your host, and I am joined by Alicia Enriquez, and she is the head of People at Livelocks, which empowers companies to build collaborative experiences within their products in days versus months. Alicia has spent the entirety of her career growing and scaling industry-disrupting organizations that include education, restaurants, health, and now tech. Hailing from El Salvador and raised in Vancouver and living in Brooklyn for the past 13 years, Alicia blends her rich cultural heritage and experience to enable dynamic teams to do their best work, all while juggling life as a mother of two spirited daughters Welcome to the podcast today, Alicia. Thank you, Taylor. So excited to be here with you. Our subject today is a team of one. I've certainly had some experience with that in startup life, but I know you are the expert when it comes to this. So I'd like to start us out today with first really defining what is the difference between a team of one and working in a fully fledged organization that has a really well built out HR team. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I do not at all by any means consider myself an expert as, and I'm just living through it right now. But I think really (laughs) given my experiences of building functions from the ground up, usually being the only person in my role and the first one in that role, I think now as a head of people, lone wolf team of one, I think the biggest difference in comparison to friends and colleagues who are at larger organizations is that as a lone wolf, you play a variety of roles. You are essentially a generalist as opposed to a specialist. And so in my current role, yeah, I'm head of people, but I'm also doing employee experience and engagement, like distributed workplace, thinking about supporting certain aspects of operations or sales, along with the traditional HR aspects and supports there. So I think the biggest difference is just be more of a, a generalist as opposed to a specialist. When you speak about generalist, that often means wearing many different hats, as you alluded to. Can you walk us through some of the hats that may not be ordinarily thought of when you think of an HR leader at an organization that's a team of one? What are some of those other unique hats that you find yourself wearing from time to time? Uh, you know, I'm in a really great position in that I've had great conversations with my co-founder, specifically my CEO, who I report to directly about what it is that I'm more keenly interested in. And so just a few different hats that I've worn in the last few months. One of them was planning and doing all of the logistics and thinking through how to create a lead generation event out in San Francisco for the conference. Not necessarily something that an HR person would lean into, but it's something that I'm really interested in and also just helps me better understand our business, our product, our target customers, what our sales process is like. So leaned into that. Most recently, doing some testing on our products. Super exciting what we're building. Now I can be an end user and test out examples for our team with an eye as someone who is not a developer and be able to contribute feedback and comments in that way. So yeah, just really kind of having my curiosity be filled with what's available to me with my org. I love the product focus. 
So for those HR leaders, whether they're a team of one or in a large organization, if they do want to get more involved in the product, what advice would you have them on how to bring that up with the product leaders in the organization? Honestly, I think it's just demonstrating the curiosity, right? I think that you really need to embed yourself in your business. And I've said this over and over, but you need to become a student of your organization. And this is probably coming from my teacher background, but whenever I join an organization or and now that I've, I've even been in mind for over a year, you know, it's just constantly leading with that curiosity of trying to understand and just coming in and saying, hey, I want to learn more about what you're doing or how you're doing it. And folks love to talk about that. Folks love to share their knowledge and help you learn. And so that's just something that worked very well for me. And I would encourage, especially teams of one, to really get curious about the people in their org, the functions in their org, and the business in general, as well as their industry. I think that that's something that folks forget to think about is how does your company um, fit within a, a broader industry? Just so that, again, you have more context about where you are and how you can best support the business and your leaders. Another thing that you had mentioned that really stood out to me was the connection that you had with your founder or your executive team. It seems that that is a unique selling point to being a team of one. What are some of the interesting things that have come out of that aside from being more involved with the product? Part of the reason why I wanted to pivot out of learning and development and go into a really early stage startup and build something from the foundation, you know, I was employee number 11, was because I think, I, I strongly believe that when you invest in a strong people function as early as possible, it makes achieving your business goals and your business outcomes that much positive and, and uh, leads you to success. In all of my previous experiences, by the time I came in as learning and development team of one, there was just so much accrued HR debt that it made it really challenging to scale people processes systems along with the speed of the business. And so I think coming in early, number one, really demonstrated to me that my co-founders valued and saw the value in investing early in people and in this function. And also, it gives me the opportunity to really make sure that we are supporting our team in all of these exciting and also incredibly challenging phases of our growth. Getting to be really close, um, being able to ask my CEO and my CTO questions about what our vision is, what our plan is in the next few months, and being able to proactively prepare for that and the people implications of it is such a benefit. And my co-founders see that as well being able to trust me to think about these things for them. So often I find when speaking to our guests like you is I just start slow clapping. Some of your responses are so exciting to hear about that early investment and the dividends that it can yield. Now, speaking of all of these things that you're mentioning, that sounds like such a broad scope. Prioritization must be key to you to mitigate burnout, can you walk us through your prioritization process on all of the things that need to occur? Yeah, I'm excited that we're talking about this because this was exactly one of the things that I wanted to bring up is that it can be incredibly overwhelming when you are 
the generalist people person slash doing all of the other jobs and wearing all of the different hats when it comes to what should I be focusing my time on? I think the thing that I keep on going back to is because you've studied, because you've learned and understood and are taking the time to understand the business needs, always prioritizing with that in mind. For example, when we have a big launch coming up, making sure that I'm not asking my team and I'm planning proactively of the people side of things, for example, an engagement survey, when am I going to bring that out at a time that does not impact what we're trying to deliver as a business? Or if I know that we have some big sales event or lead generation event that we're trying to host, what do I need to do to support my co-founders? Because maybe they're going to be too busy to, you know, go and and check our, our HRIS or whatever it may be. But just really thinking proactively of like, what are the bigger things that are happening? And then how do I prioritize from that? And again, one of the things that I found recently that I wasn't doing in the beginning uh, that has been really helpful is I created a calendar for myself in Notion with my co-founders, myself, that is linked to our broader organizational calendar. And I'm putting in there things like I have all of our iteration cycles and I work on the same iteration cycles as the rest of the team, you know, just putting everything in one place so that every week I'm looking in there, looking ahead and prioritizing on what's coming up for the business. And then going from there. Now, I'm sure you have employees or team members that also ask you for a variety of things, not just the general HR issues that they may come across, but the expectations they have. So how do you communicate to employees and balance their priorities or their requests that are coming in as well? So Taylor, to be perfectly honest, I've got a team that is pretty self-sufficient. From the very beginning, we've had a culture of knowledge management and ensuring that folks have the information that they need. One of the benefits of being globally distributed, you know, default to asynchronous communication first is that we have that strong culture of written knowledge. So our team really, uh, you know, we use Slack, we use Notion, everything we need is in those two places, along with what they need to communicate with their teams in terms of like their developer and engineering roles. I will say that in previous companies, when folks were coming up all the time with questions, I think I I always go back to making sure that one, you address the current need and answer that current question. But more importantly, how are you working smarter and not harder? And I think that that's the thing that as a lone wolf HR person, you have to really think about how are you making it scalable for yourself where you're not having to answer the same questions over and over and over again. Instead, how are you ensuring that your information in your whatever knowledge management you're using, whether that's Notion, Confluence, whatever, is up to date? How do you make sure that your team knows where to go to get the information that they, that they need? Maybe even building out uh, a a company-specific like AI support or Slack bots for questions that you're constantly getting so that you're not the person that's having to take time out of your already very busy schedule to answer those questions. That's what I would recommend in terms of that, of like, how are you making sure that you are capturing the information your team needs so that they can self-serve as opposed to having to go to you? hundred percent. And I know early on in my career or for anyone that 
becomes, in your term here, the lone wolf for the first time, it may be very easy to correlate the value that you're adding with the number of tasks you're doing versus mm -hmm. making it scalable for folks to get the answers they need immediately. And we utilize Google Sites. And so if you don't have the budget to do a intranet or anything like that, you can use some free resources exactly. as well. Yeah. With your expertise, I don't want this moment to go by either. I'm coming into the organization for the first time and I want to make a talent development strategy or an L&D strategy. What are some tips you would have for someone that's just starting out fresh that doesn't have the background that you do? In terms of building an L&D and talent dev strategy, I think number one, I will always go back to this, be a student of your business. There's that wonderful book, The First 90 Days, and essentially take the time to talk to the org, take the time to talk to every single leader and better understand what their expectations are, how they've worked with a talent development or L&D department before so that you can understand the preconceived notions and experiences people are coming in with. So I would start there. And then number two, better understanding what is top of mind for all those leaders, what matters to them, what are some of the key results, key business imperatives that they have so that whatever you do is always bringing value to whatever it is that they need. One of the acronyms that we use a lot in the L&D space is WEFM, what's in it for me? And always as that talent leader, really thinking about, okay, what's in it for my CTO? What's in it for my customer service teammate? What's in it for our marketing department? And better understanding what motivates them and what the needs are there before you come in and put something in place. I think the other piece too, besides really understanding your business and what they need so that you can best support them and also better sell any organizational talent dev initiatives is really thinking about, have you gotten to the root cause? Because many times in my L&D career, I would be brought in and be told, hey, I need you to create a training on how to have effective one-on-ones with, with teammates. But when I took the time to actually say, okay, well, what is it? What's the behavior change that you want to happen? How will we know that this training uh, made sense? What usually would come up is that what they actually wanted wasn't even ha having to do with the one-on-one. -on -one. It's that there were never any manager expectations set in place in the first place. And so me putting in a training on how to have an effective one-on-one -on -one was not going to have the impact as, hey, let's, let's pause for a minute and let's go back to... Do managers know that they're even supposed to have one-on-ones? And so ensuring that those two things are in place, I think are the best way to start. Because then when you do say, hey, I'm not, I, I don't agree with, with starting off with a training on one-on-ones, I think that we should first clarify manager expectations. And let me tell you why in a way that is going to resonate with you and what you want to drive in your specific role and side of the business. Those would be the two ways that, that I would approach. The first 90 days book that you've mentioned, that's come up multiple times on the podcast. So I think listeners are getting cued into that being a really great resource to at least start framing some of this out. The other thing that you said that really resonated with me is getting to that underlying cause. Yeah. At times, managers may come back 
and want to have a training that treats the symptoms versus that underlying cause. So I really want to highlight that part of your answers. I think it's just so incredibly useful when starting to navigate all of those types of requests that come in. Yep. Now, yeah. to pivot into the, the final stretch here, I just want to talk about your personal journey. One thing that I've noticed is there's more chief people officers that do have a background in L&D. So coming into your head of people role with your background, how did having the background you did in L&D help you? And then what are some of the things that you had to learn along the way in your new roles? Yeah, it's super exciting to see that. And I've also been chatting with a lot of folks and meeting folks who are starting to make that transition as well. And honestly, I think part of the reason why we're seeing this shift as well and, and why I decided to go into more of the HR side of things is that as a learning and development professional, we have the privilege of working cross-functionally in order to drive various training initiatives, right? When we did, when we do onboarding, we're not just onboarding necessarily one area. I'm not just onboarding our customer service folks, but I'm thinking about onboarding across the entire organization. And so that requires really understanding and getting to know folks across the entire business and having a better understanding of the business overall. I've had the privilege of working with really great L&D teams Part of what made us so valuable was that we could translate from marketing to engineering to operations to logistics because we were seeing so much of common challenges or maybe one restaurant was doing something really well and another restaurant was struggling with it. We'd be able to pair them up and share those resources. And so I think I really think of LND as like the connectors of the business and being able to help within the business networking because of that and because of that visibility that we've had to different uh, areas and business functions, we're better able to translate that and really think about holistically, how can HR be the true strategic partner that the business needs to continue to grow and be effective? Being able to have that teaching and training background, a lot of HR really comes down to the execution. I feel that I've seen so many HR initiatives fail because thinking about the execution, the communication, the training, the follow-up hasn't been there. As L&D professionals, if we're doing our jobs effectively, we're always thinking about what's the behavior change that I need to see. How are we backwards planning from that? Those are reasons why you're seeing a little bit more of that L&D transition. At least for me, some of the experiences that I've had that I think have helped me a lot. And then in terms of where am I still working on? What am I still working on? Part of why I love this role is because it will, I, I don't think I will ever be, consider myself an expert because everything is just constantly changing. But I think for me, it's, it's really thinking about, I, I have breadth in certain things and now I need to develop some depth in others. And so as an example, I, I had a really good understanding broadly of the TA function, um, talent acquisition, recruiting, the process, how recruiting and IT and onboarding, et cetera, needed to work together. But I'd never actually, beyond hiring folks for my own teams, had to go through the process of interviewing and, and putting things into greenhouse, et cetera. As my company is starting to grow and scale, I'm getting that depth as we go along. 
And that's where my network, again, shout out to Troop HR, comes in handy is when I really need to get into the depths of specific areas of HR that I may not have had deep experience in yet. The little nugget I got from your answer just now is when leaders come to you to ask you to switch things, you can just simply ask, what behavior are you trying to change? Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good underlying question to help facilitate likely a better outcome when deciding what to, to treat. The other thing that is also equally important, so I think some of the greatest leaders out there are the leaders that, as you've just done, identify that I still have more to learn and never stop that learning journey in your career, no matter what level you get to. Yeah. So that is uh, a kudos for you, but also a hallmark of a great leader and a hallmark of an expert, whether or not you'll say it, I'll call it out and say it's certainly a hallmark of one. So now I'll transition over into the lightning round to finish us out here. So if you're ready, we'll dive right into some of these questions. All right, bring it on. All right. The best career advice you've been given in one sense. From my career coach, Kyle Elliott, when I was thinking about making the switch, I've said this over and over to people, create quadrants of what you need, what you want, what you don't want, and what you can't have in your role or in an organization and use that to help you make decisions. That is fantastic. And I am going to use that personally. Next up, favorite HR tool or book right now. Oh my gosh. I have to shout out to one open org. I was part of their US cohort uh, a few months ago. They have a whole open source list of handbooks. So various companies that have open source their handbooks. It's where I go to when I'm trying to help craft something for myself and see what other companies are doing. Some of the most progressive, transparent companies out there. So open org, please check them out. And on my desk right now, I have built for people by Jessica Zwan doing a book club uh, with this book, this starting up, kicking that off this week. So really excited to dive more into that. Again, that idea of like people experience as product. Absolutely. Two great suggestions. One hot take HR opinion. I think that managers should be in therapy or should have had some experience in therapy or coaching because I think that you can't be an effective people leader if you yourself haven't done the tough emotional and mental work of understanding your own freeze, flight, fight responses to then better able to support others. Talk so much more about this, but that, that's my hot take. <laughs> I love it. And for our listeners, if you haven't already listened, go back to Angela Chang Simony's episode. She has expanded insights into that very topic. Finally. How can our listeners get connected with you? So I'm proud to say I'm a founding member of Troop HR. So I'm on there and LinkedIn. Excellent. Everyone, go ahead and connect. And thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much, Taylor. This is fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Troop HR podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to subscribe and leave a five-star rating. If you would like to learn more about our community, please visit troophr.com. In the meantime, keep living the dream.